Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that's simple. For 10% off your new domain, go to Hover.com slash TWIP. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing app for small businesses that saves time and gets you paid faster. Join over 3.5 million FreshBook users and try the service for free for 30 days of unlimited use at FreshBooks.com and be sure to let them know you heard about it on TWIP. This week on TWIP, Adobe teases about enhancing video in Photoshop, Sony announces the new Alpha A57, the new iPad's retina display, is it bad for photographers? A discussion on making money with photography and an interview with celebrity photographer Michael Greco. It's Wednesday, March 14th, 2012, and this is TWIP. Welcome back to TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today on the show, the panel is going to be discussing Adobe. They've been teasing and flirting with video in some unexpected ways. Also, Sony has dropped the bomb on an Alpha A57 camera, and uh, Tristan Hall's here to talk about that. Plus, the iPad, if you've heard the news, you know that Apple released the newest version of the iPad and has this crazy high-resolution retina display on it. But what does that mean for photographers and keeping your images safe? And then finally, we're going to be talking about something that's probably interesting to a lot of you, and that's making money with photography. How do you do it? What are the ins and outs? What are some tips and tricks and all that good stuff? So to tackle these topics and more, joining me today on the show are Nicole S. Young, Dan Ablin and Tristan Hall. Hello, guys. Hey, Frederick. Good day. All right, this is a, this is going to be a good show. All that stuff is uh, it's interesting to me, obviously. But uh, before we jump into it, I want to give a nod to our sponsor. The first sponsor is Hover. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by Hover.com. They're a domain name registration and management service that's simple. And you can get 10% off your new domain. All you got to do is head over to Hover.com slash TWIP. And basically what they do is they looked at the process of registering domains and all the unnecessary pieces of that and removed all those. And what you're left with is a seamless way that in a couple of clicks, once you have an idea for a domain, you can head over to Hover, put in a bunch of, you know, put in what you want and click the button and you're on your way. You can buy your domain just that quickly. So they make it easy for you to set up email addresses, forward email addresses if you want to set that stuff up. You can transfer email uh, or transfer domains over to them. So you can manage, manage all your domains from one place. It just goes on and on and on. So you can oh, – the, one of the cool things I want to mention about uh, these guys is their phenomenal support. So a lot of people are just shy about registering domains, even though it is painlessly simple. Um, they'll jump in to help you get this thing up, get whatever domain you want up quickly and easily, and it's, uh, it's painless. So you'll find yourself registering domains – you know, like you buy Doritos. So it's a pretty good service, uh, like I buy Doritos. If you want to try your new domain or register for one, just head over to hover.com slash twip, and you'll get 10% off your new domain. That's www.hover.com forward slash twip. 
All right. The first story that we're going to jump into, folks, is, as I teased in the teaser, Adobe has been teasing that they are going to be in, you know, I want to make sure I get this right. They are going to be making Photoshop so that you can more easily handle video in it in a future version of Photoshop. This is according to the Photoshop.com blog over on Adobe. So I want to throw it to this panel. Um, I'm coming at this completely new and I look at this, I'm like, okay, Photoshop is now going to do video. I'm going to be the curmudgeon. And a lot of you guys know what I'm going to say is, you know, Photoshop already has a ton of stuff in it. You know, it already has a million things that you can do in the app. Why would I want to have video inside, inside Photoshop? It could already do video to some degree. Why not have, why not just make premiere better or, you know, something like that. Nicole, I want to throw it to you first. What do you, just from a high level, why do we want all these features in what I call a Hydra of like Photoshop? Well, yeah, you know, the same thing could be said for using 3D in Photoshop. You know, it's... It, I say the same thing about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I don't use a lot of 3D, but let's say you're a designer. I mean, I, I follow uh, the, a lot of the NAPP stuff and Corey Barker does a lot of 3D tutorials mm-hmm. and he shows how to, you know, convert text into 3D. You can do a lot of very basic... But but they, but very elegant and advanced, somewhat advanced 3D things within Photoshop. It's limited, but you can still get that. You know, maybe 10% of what you can do. I, I'm not an expert in 3D, so I don't, I'm, I'm kind of talking out of my butt here. But you can do you know a small percentage of what you would want to do in 3D inside of Photoshop, or you can pull things from other 3D places, pull them into Photoshop, do things you can do in Photoshop with those 3D files. You know, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that you know that's why they also have video in. Photoshop. Now, video is not new to Photoshop. Video right. is in Photoshop Extended, and you can actually do quite a bit with it, um, but it's not very user-friendly. So I think that's kind of what they're trying to, you know, get out here. They're, you know, it's, and, like, uh, you know, customers are saying that they want uh, a workflow they can understand. And it's very complicated, and especially if you don't know very much about video editing. I use Premiere Pro, so I have a I have a basic understanding. I don't do very advanced things, but I I'm guessing that the basics, especially if you watch the teaser video, the basics that they show um that you can achieve in uh Photoshop are probably that's probably the most amount of things that someone like me, you know, who doesn't do extensive video editing. So yeah. if you have a small um I, you know, inkling to want to get into video and you already have Photoshop, then it's, you know, a good place to start. And then you might say, wow, this video thing is really great. Maybe I should buy Adobe Premiere Pro, mm. you know, and then move on to the next thing. So it's the gateway drug. Dan, what, what about you? Do you, do you think you, because I, I fall on the side of the fence. I want to go the complete opposite direction with Photoshop. If it was me, you know, and I rule the world and I'm king, you know, I'd say, okay, take Photoshop and break it into pieces because people like me don't need 3d they don't need video they don't need all this other crazy stuff i just want the photography stuff in there right or the stuff that lightroom doesn't and will never do you know i want that in there i don't need the rest of that baggage in there so it's like buying a big old house and you only live in two rooms (laughs) right you know well, you know, I'm, I'm coming at it with – I'm going to try and come at it with an open mind because initially when digital SLR started putting video in, I was just like, well, I'm taking pictures. Why do I need video in my camera? Mm-hmm. But as time went on, I realized you know, with the, with the high ISO and the low light and the depth of field, you could do some really creative things than you can with just your ordinary little video camera. Mm-hmm. Um, I do a lot of 3D. I've been doing 3D for 20 years. You teach that stuff, right? I teach that stuff, yeah. And um, – so consequently, I don't use Photoshop for 3D at all. Never, you know, I just I 
don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but with video, initially, I, I kind of came at it the same way. I'm like, I mean, what are they doing? But the more you start thinking about it, where you can animate a layer, where you're painting in, you know, lips can be painted in, and eyes can, you can animate those textures in. But that's um, what After Effects is for, right? Exactly. And that's where, you know, I think, that's why I'm kind of keeping an open mind about it and just saying, well, let's just see what it can do. Because maybe you are editing a photo, and After Effects can be quite a quite a monster sometimes yeah, i've is, used that yeah. for a lot of years and have really kind of migrated over to motion because i can work faster um it doesn't have the plugins like after effects does but it's um it's a lot easier to work through so for photoshop you know i mean think about all the actions that are out there um that you can you know a lot of free a lot of really inexpensive that you could possibly put to just even just putting you know not in so much terms of video footage but just you know, rendering out a video clip of an animated uh, image. Mm-hmm. Yeah, having yeah, things grow. I, I don't know. You know? Just, what about you, Tristan? Do you do you want a multi-headed Hydra? And I look at me positioning the question like a politician. <laughs> uh, do you want? Do you need a application that can do everything, or do you want something that's more <laughs> like myopic and singular focused? Um, you know, I'm I'm not a much of an image manipulator myself. Um. You know that's so. So I don't really use Photoshop terribly often. If I've got something to do, I'll normally dive into to Lightroom to kind of achieve it or um, capture one. I, I think the 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 interest for me here though is is the way they are trying to consolidate some of the aspects of of the creative process. There are people out there that are you know working in in both mediums and to be able to consolidated into one place may be quite useful for them. I think of guys that, you know, do a lot of time-lapse video and, and creations of stuff mm-hmm. like that, perhaps that would have great benefits to them. But I, I also think we, if you look at some of what's happening in the new cameras and that on the market, um, take for example, the Nikon one, um, you know, it's got that, that feature where it shoots a couple of seconds of video leading up to the, f- the frame and it animates that all in Nikon software there's this little video of the second or two prior to pressing the shutter button and then the final photograph. Um, if that is the kind of thing we're going to start seeing more of um, in in co- commercial cameras going out there, you know, they, you may want a bit more control of how that animation, you know, or that sequence takes place or how, you know, editing that sequence as well. So I think, I think there, there's – in a way, it could kind of be a, a case of preparing for what may be coming in the future. Um, you know, as video and stills may seem to become more and more intertwined together. Yeah. Um, that, so I th- that's where I kind of see it having benefits in that as well. Um, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see though who takes on the, you know this and kind of adopts it as their their main main diet if you want of, so, of editing nicole how many times in the last let's say two years have you used photoshop to edit a clip video oh mm-hmm. i don't think i ever have <laughs> what about you dan uh i tried it once and i went to back into a real editing program well, yeah <laughs> you yeah. know i mean i i you know I, I don't think you're gonna when we say video for photoshop I don't think people are going to start using it as a nonlinear editor. I think it's like Tristan said that you are going to get into, you know, doing things with your time lapse and uh, mm-hmm. animating uh, brush strokes and paint. And I think more in terms of that might, might be very useful. So, yeah, I, I think I would go on that route. Yeah, I think 
I agree with you that After Effects is a beast, and it requires a serious investment of time and effort to get your brain around how it works. But once you do, you have an amazing amount of power there. But what if you don't want to invest that? Then this might be, you know, if you if you just want to, like you say, edit a make a cool title for a video or something, you could do it. Especially if you already know how to, you understand layers and that metaphor, right? I, right. I think that's the target audience too. That's, I mean, that's my guess. You know, if because if somebody already knows how to use Photoshop, and let's say they just want to add a, add a filter to a, a real a video clip, change it to a smart object and apply a filter. You can, you know, you can do that. Mm-hmm. That's easy. If you try and figure out how to do that in a video editing software program like Premiere Pro or mm-hmm. Final Cut, that is a complete foreign. You know, you don't even know how to put your photo in there and how to export it and all these things. It's, it's if you already know Photoshop, then it's like just one little step beyond that mm-hmm. so it's that's that's what it's for you know obviously people are going to get if they get into it then they're going to go further but they're going to you know they want to start small especially with the price of these products they're not cheap <laughs> yeah yeah they're not i mean that's the other piece of it they're you know with the, with the advent of of or the popularity of places like the app store on apple and these one-off really crafted applications that pop up in there for like 20 30 bucks that just do one thing and do it really well. Mm-hmm. Those I'd be scared of those, you know, because <laughs> then if I decide, hey, I need to animate a title, I'm going to go over there and see, hey, can I find something real quick that has a that has a shallow learning curve that I can just bust this out really quick, or do I need to plunk down some money and go buy this big thing? Yeah, you know, I don't or know. just sign up for Creative Cloud at fifty dollars. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that was that was <laughs> that was a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> we talked so, about that. All right, guys, before, before we continue, I want to remind the listeners that if they have suggestions that they want us to cover, discuss, or rant about, that's what I do, just contact us <laughs> on our site at thisweekinphoto.com. There's a nifty Contact Us page that's a direct pipeline into our brains. So if you got something to say, something to ask us, something to suggest to us, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com and click in the menu bar. There's, a, there's that Contact Us thing, and you can chat with us. Not live, of course, but, you know, you can send us a message. And also, if you want to interact with us via the socials, I call them, the social networks, There's uh, there are social media buttons on each and every page on thisweekinphoto.com that will connect you over to our Facebook, Twitter, Google+, etc. presences. All right. The next story is about Sony, and for some reason, Tristan's on the show, our resident Sony expert. Now, Tristan... Uh, it was well-timed. Eh? It was well-timed. Look at that. It's perfect. So, Sony announced the Alpha A57. So, none of us on the show, we admitted before I clicked the record button, know what this is, because we are either Canon or Nikon shooters, and we have, you know, we have our blinders on 90% of the time. So, can you tell us what the Alpha A57 is and why it's special? Sure. I think, um, you know, take a step back in, in Photokina 2010, Sony released the Alpha 33 and the 55, which were the first, you know, digital cameras to run with a pellicle type, the translucent mirror technology, as they call it. Um, so the mirror never moves. You have an electronic viewfinder and, you know, the, the benefits of the fact that you've got this translucent mirror is the fact that you, um, are able to have face detect autofocus running continuously. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no blackout on your AF. Um, and that includes in video mode as well. So, 
you know, it's, it, it provided consumers, uh, particularly your entry level people that were, you know, they were looking at, at shooting video with the DSLR and it was manual focus and, uh, and you had to have the steep learning curve or whatever. Uh, for people who literally just wanted to pick up and, and shoot a video and, 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 you know, replace their little handy cam, this was the, the answer to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 55 was not terribly well received. Um, because of the fact that it's, you know, the electronic viewfinder wasn't terribly great. Um, and, uh, the camera just generally was very small. And so it was, it was okay for a consumer camera, but anybody wanting to take things a little bit more seriously found it, um, a, a tad restrictive. Yeah. Yeah. Now you had so one done of those, with the right? 50 uh, yes, we, we, we in fact um, covered the launch at Photokina specifically for Sony on, on the 55. And, I and it was, that, yeah. I, I enjoy it. It's a fantastic little camera. Um, I mean, it was, if you put it in perspective, the, the, the only way a camera that was doing 10 frames a second, um, you know, at full, full resolution at that point was to go for something like, a, you know, a Canon 1DS Mark III or 1D Mark III, um, you know. So it, it, it's, it's kind of, it, it really set a new standard for what consumers could expect out of out of a entry level camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with the fifty seven, they've just they've really listened to consumer feedback and they've improved it. Um, you know, recently they launched Sony launched the Alpha seventy seven and the sixty five, which has a twenty four million pixel APS C sensor. And you know, they they're fantastic cameras. They've got these OLED viewfinders, but they're a bit on the pricey side, and not everybody wants twenty four million pixels. You know, in in their cameras. Mm-hmm. So the fifty seven is based on the sixty five's body, so it's a it's a bit chunkier than the fifty five was. Um, you know, it's got a 16 megapixel sensor in it. It takes the frame rate from 10 to 12 frames per second. Um, and uh, they've improved the viewfinder. It's not the OLED viewfinder they've got on the, the upper models, um, but it's a, a significant improvement over the, the 55's viewfinder. Um, and what Sony have done a lot of recently is they've worked a lot on their autofocus system. Um, they've, they've got a feature called uh, subject tracking. And basically what this does is you, when you activate the subject tracking mode, you kind of get a little square that you put over your subject and it locks on and memorizes your subject using things like face recognition and stuff like that. Um, and as long as that subject stays in the viewfinder, it will always memorize what the subject is. Um, and as soon as that subject's in front of a, you know, a focal point, it will focus and, and lock onto that subject. So let's say, for example, you're on safari, you've got a lion sitting in the grass. Traditional autofocus, the, the, the grass going and moving in front of the lion, it would always be jumping between the lion and the grass. And it became a bit of a pain and you'd switch over and focus manually. Um, with this, it would you know lock onto to the line as the subject, and it wouldn't be distracted by anything moving around in front of it. Wow. Um, so very and it clever would little things that, that track? offering. It would maintain the yeah. track on the line even if you walked in front of the camera. Uh, yeah, as long as the subject is within is visible within the viewfinder for you know no it's, if if it's out of the viewfinder for more than two seconds, then you've got to reset it um, or lock onto the subject again. But as long as the subject is in the viewfinder, um, they've actually get, done a demonstration where they had um, uh, two little Maltese poodles running in the park and. Um, you know, it's the ones are a white Maltese poodle, others a black Maltese poodle, and it locks that you're focusing on the white one, and um, it moves away from one of the 15 focus points, 
and um, this black Maltese poodle runs in front and it, 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 it focuses on the black Maltese poodle while the white one is outside of a focal point. But as soon as it moves in front of one of those 15 focus points, it forgets about the other one and goes straight back to the, the subject you were originally focusing on. Um, so it's, it's very, very clever technology. And uh, I think they've, you know, it's, it, to have this in a consumer level camera, um, is the big the big thing here? They really are trying to drive the most benefit at a, at the entry level price point for people, which is fantastic. So what do we? Um, what so was th- the price point? What's the price point of the the A fifty seven? From what I've seen, it's six ninety nine uh, so dollars. So uh, seven hundred bucks. And why is so? This thing has arguably more tech packed into it than than comparable Nikon and Canon cameras at a percentage of the price. How how can Sony do that? I think it's it's got a lot to do with the the the, the translucent mirror. That you know the fact that that you're taking out that mirror, um, you know, a movable mirror means that it's a lot easier to enhance the the, the features that every other camera has um, without needing to try and reinvent the mirror box and make sure that the mirror is moving quicker and th- and things like that. Um, so that's really I think where the the priority has been. And also what Sony have done is they they've minimised their range. If you look at them going back two or three years ago, they had a huge number of, um, of of cameras in their range, and you know they had a the same body in a ten, twelve, and fourteen megapixel variation, and and silly things like that. Now they're just really consolidating onto three or four really good models. Um, so it's it's quite an interesting approach that they're taking. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 really interesting. So looking looking at Sony, is it? It, are, is Sony leading in terms of technology? You know the the other guys, the, like Nikon and Canon, etc. Get all the press, of course. But is is Sony like they're the they're the scrappy ones that are trying to prove that you know they can do this better? I, I think they've definitely been more innovative in their market segment, um, and, and that's that's one of the great about I guess having an an, an underdog, you know, who's trying to kind of fight back and shake up the market a bit. So they definitely have been more innovative. Um, and I do think at at their various price points, they offer better value for money. Um, if you look at it, just it. Um, you know, so I, I do think they, they're fighting back. I've, I'm a little bit um, unsure about, you know, the, I've seen some interesting figures from analysts looking at the, the, the camera market generally and, that by 2015, um, you know, mirrorless cameras are going to be selling double the volumes of traditional SLR. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and so I think I think it's great that Sony are doing this. I do think mirrorless is still going to become their their major player. They you know their NEX system is going what sets them apart from other manufacturers. Um, but uh, I definitely think that as a as a, a th- a third option, you know, your third brand out there. Mm-hmm. Um, Sony has shown that they can definitely surpass the, the guys who've been playing in the market for a lot longer. I love it. I love it. It's it's great to have choices out there. And, uh, you know, we get accused a lot of favoritism on the show for favoring Nikon or Canon or whatever. Um, but yeah, definitely Sony is, they're, they're swinging and they're not going away, it doesn't look like. No. Right. So let's uh, guys, let's move on to this next story, which is also very interesting. And this is the perfect panel for this, I think. So 
like I mentioned in the beginning, Apple released a new iPad with an ultra high resolution screen, which they're calling the Retina Display, which is roughly 3.2 megapixels if you look at it, you add it up that way. So the the gist of this story, and Nicole, I want to throw it to you first, um, since you make you know the majority or a lot of your income from stock photography. Um, Someone can search or someone can view the issue is someone can view an image full screen on this thing and then, you know, snap a screenshot. And we know how to do that from the iPhone and other iPads, you know, hit the the top button and the home button at the same time. You can capture the screen. They're capturing essentially a 3.2 megapixel copy of your image. Now, does that scare you? Well, I guess there's a, a few different things that comments that I have on this. Uh, first of all, I don't really who's who's uploading photos that are that large you well know, not they're... not yet but if you like for example in the future if i want to if i want to display my work at its pristine best and i want to take advantage of that retina display especially when when these new ipads become prevalent you know like the ipad one and ipad two are it'll make sense you know why would i why would i not use that entire screen but if i do yeah. someone can yank my image I guess I guess I see it as if I want to ha- what I use my iPad for when it comes to photography is kind of as a, a portfolio. You know, I I put my own photos on my own iPad and I share them. So that means I can make my photos look really really great on my iPad. Uh, photos that I'm posting online, I guess you know I, I have I, I've kind of increased the max size that I put on there. I digitally watermark my images. I've kind of gone away from putting like a, a, a picture watermark or a, a text watermark on them. You know, depending on the photo, but I don't really. I guess I think that there is so much fear of over people having their images stolen. Yeah. You know that it's I don't want my photos stolen. Obviously, I don't want that. I want people to purchase my photos and license them uh, and use them legally. But it's going to happen, and I'm not saying that that's good. I, I, worrying about it and, stop and it, right? losing sleep over it, you know, is not something that I really think that we should have to do every day. You yeah. know, people are going to be dishonest or just uneducated and download photos that are not supposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, what about you? So you have a studio and like mm-hmm. a, a real brick and mortar studio that you take yeah. pictures and then provide proofs. Are you doing are you doing soft proofs or digital proofs online? No. No, actually the funny thing is we just we had a shoot tonight and we just like finished a shoot, hopped on and here we are. Uh and we schedule a review for next week. They come in in person, and we project. So Okay. Okay. So you're not uh, doing the hey, I'm going to upload everything to Smug Mug and you can view it and then purchase that way or On on occasion, you know, executive portraits we will um we we had a, a family with with uh, family in India, so we we did a little workout with it. But ninety nine percent of it, no, it's all it's all in house. But I I I I agree with Nicole. I don't I don't see this as you know when you put something out there, it's out there. So yeah. you know it's just you got to have that in mind. And I understand maximizing it, but um, I I would put my own high res on my own iPad to show. Um, and we're not sending out digitals to people and yeah, yeah. um so i don't i don't necessarily see it as a big problem right now yeah i, I just worry about it. I mean, you look at the these services like 500 pics and pixoto and you know these different companies that are displaying these beautiful large works you know of and they encourage you to upload a larger version now um i don't know what's going to happen with with this next version of the ipad that may change but you know you, you see this one shot on there and you're like oh that's gorgeous and you snap a shot of it and now you can do whatever you want with it i'm going to go yeah. order some prints you know <laughs> from from this shot i think it's, it's going to happen i mean until yeah. there's some kind of um you know you know the way the way the music's embedded when you can't play it on a machine that's not licensed yeah um i don't know how they could do that for imagery but 
we'll have to take our chances. Yeah. I mean, it's like Nicole was saying, it's the cost of progress, right? You can't stick your head yeah. in the sand, right? Well, you know, when it comes to, I will say, like, I'm actually going to eventually be starting to sell some of my own personal work as prints. And I don't know if it's going to be big or if I'll even make any money on it. But if people wanted to steal a photo and make an 8 by 10 um, that's not going to take money out of my pockets because I'm probably not even going to license, I mean, sell prints that small. You know, so it's, I don't know, it's, it's really hard to say. And, and you know, another thing, if you're really worried about it, copyright your images, <laughs> you know, register yeah. them. And of course, they're all copyrighted, but register your copyright. So that way, if somebody does use them and you find out about it, you can actually go after them if, if that's your thing. So you can litigate. Yeah. Tristan, where, where do you fall on this? Do we do, do photographers need to just dumb down their images or should they be up when this, when the iPad three is prevalent, should they be uploading these 3.2 megapixel shots? What people need to remember, while the, the iPad, you know, the, that resolution and that is great, I think um, you, you've got to still remember your user experience, um, you know, and particularly coming from a South African perspective um, where we don't have the greatest bandwidth. The, the minute you start creating, you know, that kind of data and it takes forever for the site to load, I become disinterested and I go somewhere else. So I think ultimately I think the user experience is still going to, um, you know, be the main concern for people. You know, when high-res image is great, you, you expect to take some time for your site and that. But I think generally people should still be looking at what will help their site load quicker um, and be a more enjoyable experience for people. Um, uh, that's my feeling about it. I think that the display is great, and it's going to have it's how it impacts on the way we, you know, display our images and um, in in our portfolios on our iPads, the way we we view uh, media generally on on the iPad. But I think ultimately you've got to remember that there's still a lot of people out there that are going to be viewing your sites and that from a standard PC or you know an older iPad, whatever the case is. There's millions of devices out. There. Um, you know, and, and ultimately, you need to offer what's going to be the best user experience for the the broader base of of the population. Would be my thinking. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. Hey, Dan, do you, do you think Apple will at some point say, "Hey, uh, we're we're going to dumb down the resolution of screenshots from this device to to prevent things like this," or will no. they just keep pushing it forward? No, I don't think that's a concern of theirs at all. You know, and it was making me think about uh, you know all the years of teaching software, you know, I talked with one of the software manufacturers about piracy one time and he said, you know, there's three types of people. There's the people that will always upgrade and always buy the software. And then there's the people that will kind of try it out. They're a little bit in the grayer and then they'll probably buy it if they can afford it or it's part of a job. But then there's that other part that will always just steal it, never buy it. Yeah. And I think the same goes for photography. There's a sector you can't uh, you can't get away from. They're always that's just their thing. They're, they think it's okay to take images off the web and use them wherever they want. And it's our responsibility as photographers to just protect it, copyright it, and and move forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think. Go ahead, Tristan. Uh, sorry, I think also you've got to you've got to remember that some for some people it it, it is a case of ignorance and. It's a case of, you know, when it comes to a topic like piracy, there's also the issue of affordability for people. And, uh, you know, just going back to what we mentioned with the, the Adobe Creative Cloud, that, that so many people now who were using, you know, software illegally because it costs so much, particularly in South Africa, um, that that they are now open to actually spending their money. And, I mean, over here we have a big issue with people pirating music and, and videos and 
like that simply because there isn't a service like a Netflix or an iTunes store or, or a place where you, where people are willing to take our money kind of thing. We have to lie about where we live and, and things like that to be able to use services that, that are only available you know, in the US or in Europe. Yeah. Um, and so I think you know, that where issues like that come up is it's a case of making, making people, educating the market and making it easy for people to not pirate stuff. Um, and, and then people are more willing to, to you know, share their money. I think the, the very nature of the iTunes store is, is an example of that. As soon as, as people, it became easy for people to buy music, Legally, it's people were willing to spend their money that way, mm-hmm. um, and I think photographs, to a large extent, and there will always be people. You know, if there's always going to be images that you really like and and you can't afford necessarily like that, and that's always yes, there's going to be people that are, are going to just you know to help themselves. But I think you know, a lot of times people want to do the right thing, they just don't know how. Yeah. Um, you know, for us as photographers, it's easy for us because we understand the market and that. But the, the broad-based consumer doesn't necessarily know how to go about getting the rights to images and stuff like that correctly. Um, and and so it's a case of how do we make that easier for them? Yeah. No, I I, I agree with that. All right, guys. Before we move on um, to our feature discussion, which we're going to be diving into how to make money with photography. Earlier today, I had a chance to speak with photographer Michael Greco. So let's give a listen to that interview now. Michael Greco is a photographer, director, and a speaker. Along with being my friend, he's one of the most sought-after creatives working in Los Angeles today, largely due to his signature lighting style. Michael recently released a book, a new ebook entitled Lighting and the Dramatic Portrait, and he's here today to discuss the book, his light, and his fantastic career in photography. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, Frederick. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule to let me bend your ear on this stuff. Well, thank hey, thanks for having me. Uh, as I, as I had mentioned to you earlier, that intro, I'm going to make you my publicist. <laughs> You've hey, got a second job, third I'm, job. I'm getting pretty good at that stuff, huh? It's very good, very yeah. good. Thank no, no, you. it's all true. It's all true, and I'm I'm really excited to be chatting with you. One of the cool things about doing these this podcast and these interviews is I get to chat with people like you, and I have an excuse to. <laughs> so, it's uh, I get a chance to sit down with people that have these fantastic careers and pepper them with questions, all under the uh, the guise of doing it for the audience. So it's all good. So let's, Michael, let's start with you. Let's just start with let's introduce you to the audience for the folks that may not have heard of you. Who are you? Like you're, you're like I said in the intro, you're a photographer. We know all that stuff. But what brought you to photography, and why do you stay in it? Well, I, I, you know, as a kid, I was just hooked. I opened a Time Life book on photography, and I was just like enamored and realized that this is what I wanted to do. And I've done it for a long time. You know, the art of being getting older and more experienced is trying to artfully hide your age you know so <laughs> i've i've been around a long time the the first half of my career i was a news photographer and photojournalist i worked for the associated press and the boston herald and then the past uh, number of years i've been doing magazine portrait work you know i'm so always a big fan of uh, annie Leibovitz and helmut newton and just you know trying to do uh that sort of portrait storytelling uh in magazines of a high caliber 
That's great. That's great. So when, as we move through the interview, uh, one of the big things that I want to talk about, of course, is that new ebook that you have, uh, that I have sitting on my iPad here. What, uh, before we get into that, I just want to, want to talk about that just a little bit. What, what drove you to write this ebook? I mean, you have, a, you're published already. So why, why this book? Well, the, the, I mean, back in 2005 or, or 2004, when we started doing, uh, writing the print book of lighting in the dramatic portrait, I, I, I wanted to, um, I, you know, I wanted to make my name and I was known for my lighting, but you're not really truly an expert at something until you've written a book. So, uh, I did a black and white quickie, you know, less, less formative version of the book called the art of portrait photography and, uh, Watson Guptill random house approached me to do a, a full color, um, more sophisticated 200 page version. So I spent, you know, I'm not really, a um, a, a writer per se, but, uh, I, you know, you, I've sort of become one and I decided to jump in, get, put down all my thoughts and how I think and what I do in that book. And then we saw how, how often the book was on torrent download streams and <laughs> thought, why don't we release our own ebook? Like if, if, if it's in demand electronically, why don't we do our own? So yeah. the press release is out this week. It's basically out this week, and we're we're thrilled. We're very excited about it. That's very cool. Yeah, like I said, I want to I want to get into that a little bit more specifically around just from a publishing standpoint, from a photographer that has gone through the process of building a print book and now moving to digital. What are the trials? What are the things that you had to deal with? So we'll talk about that a little bit later. But before we get into that, I want to talk about. Um, one of the books that you have out now, it's called uh, Naked Ambition, and I have that one. And there's also the accompanying film that I that I saw on uh, Netflix as well. So this is a feature film, and you you're the guy in it. You're you're behind the scenes. You're the photographer, and you're the director of this thing. Take me through what that was like, and and how is it being the guy behind the camera and in front of the camera doing a documentary about your work? Well, I mean that had an interesting genesis. I mean. Yeah, so I've got two lighting books. I've got these two lighting books, and uh, lighting in the dramatic portrait being the the, the new one. Um, and I decided to do my first coffee table book, and I was invited to the Adult Video Awards, um, and thought, you know, what a great series of portraits this can be. So the film started out as sort of B roll for publicity for the book, and. Uh, we had, it was myself and two partners. And as we started talking about this idea of doing this B-roll, it was like, you know what, we have these great interviews set up. It would be more interesting to do, you know, a, a doc of some sort. Yeah. So it's sort of, you know, the, the documentary sort of blew up out of, you know, out of this idea of just shooting publicity footage of me doing the shoots because the interviews were so good and the girls were, you know, Bared, bared their soul, so to speak, uh, on camera. So, um, you know, that's, that's the direction we went. And, you know, we, in the end, um, in the end, we looked at all this stuff and go, you know, we have a cool film here. You know, there's a, there's a cool film to be had here. So you follow me as the sort of story arc going through and trying to accomplish and shoot this book in four days. And then 
I'm just sort of the vehicle. I'm I'm the bridge that makes the movie not a bunch of talking headshots and like a, you know, PBS kind of documentary. And then you follow two girls up for best new starlet. I mean, that, and, that uh, just seems like, I mean, I'm trying to put myself in that situation, notwithstanding just all the glitz and glamour and, you know, just the adult film aspect of it. And you're behind the scenes uh, with these people And the, the film that I look when I, when I saw the film, I was, I was surprised at how real those people were, you know, and it sort of just revealed that, hey, these are these are real people and it's a job that they're doing, which I think was part partially part of the the what you were going for. But, you know, looking at that from a photographer's perspective, I was thinking, how the heck did Michael you know, do this thing in four days. I mean, you, I mean, all the lighting, you were shooting photographs for a coffee table book. You got cameras there and you're dealing with these personalities, right? <laughs> I'm sure you had to manage personalities well, and get what? them to do their, and they're being awarded. This is an award show, right? So how, how did all this stuff come together? Was it, did you have like a magic logistical person that with a clipboard or what? How did you well, get it yeah, all together? I mean, we actually wound up shooting a second year because I wanted to, uh, I wanted to work on the photography a little bit more for the book itself. Mm-hmm. But the first year there were 22 people. A lot of them were producers and casting people and people that went in out into the into the convention floor you know there's four days of convention or three days of convention before the awards so there were people that went out into the convention floor and uh and went out there and actually you know found interesting people and grabbed people who looked like there was a story to tell and 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 that sort of thing so um i had a lot of help I had a lot of help. My partner, Charles Holland, helped. There was another partner involved uh, at the time who helped uh, shoot the footage. So it was just good support. You know, it's like yeah. any big production shoot. It's like any of the shoots I write about in the in Lighting in the Dramatic Portrait. It's just good support people and good support people around you, you know. How big How big approximately was your team? It, w- it was 22 people. Wow. 22 people to pull that off. Two wow. people. Three, three, ca- three cameras, myself, three assistants. Um, I think we had a – I don't think we had – we had a, a producer. We had a bunch of casting people, some PAs, some, you know, a couple of sound people. Um, so it, it was a good-sized crew. So if you wanted to give some advice to, to me and the audience, say, you know, I have an idea for a documentary – of course, not at that scale, but if you know you want to you want to do something, where do you start? I mean, a lot of people are stuck in. Well, I'm not going to do it because I don't know where to start. If, if someone has an idea, like, okay, I want to document homelessness in my hometown, what what are the first steps? I, I you know, I think that um, I've I've even supported a lot of Kickstarter campaigns, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, Kickstarter campaigns that have finished documentary films and things like that. It, it you know it's a very tough economic climate out there. People are, money is very tight, but the first step has got to be like really identifying the story. And even with these Kickstarter campaigns that I've contributed to, people usually have shot footage. They usually have something already. They've uh, literally spent some of their time like getting something of quality to show people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it needs to start. I think you have to have something to, to show, you know, everything from a producer or a potential investor or a, a movie studio or a production company or your Kickstarter audience, what it is you want to do. 
to start from zero and say, I have this great idea, there's nothing really tangible there. So I think you, you need to put in some time and, you know, we had for 5,000 bucks, we had this footage already and I had a book and I was able to take that footage in the book and then sell it. Like I was able to take the footage in the book and we actually our co-production partner on it was Playboy and they gave us the money to finish the film and buy music and edit it, that sort of thing. Wow. So. That's great. That's great. So let, let's, let's segue that into your lighting style. And like I said in the intro there, you have the signature lighting style, which I'm looking at your site right now and it's evident, you know, that, that, Hey, this is Michael Greco. <laughs> so how, how did you get from, you know, the, the kid that you mentioned that was looking at the time life book and excited about photography to, Hey, I'm, I'm a name in photography and I have a signature lighting style. Well, you know, the style kind of just comes about to me. It's just, you know, through time, it's sort of like, it, it's what you gravitate to. And when I do a workshop or teach, it's like, you know, the idea is, is I'll, I'll teach what I do, but the more important thing to me is to not do what I do, but try to, um, you know, try to start seeing what you're shooting. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing I advocate. What do you mean? What do you mean seeing what you're shooting? Well, you know, I'm a big proponent. I, I, when it, when it was the film era, I was a big proponent of shooting Polaroids and taking your time and looking at your lighting. Yeah. And now that it's digital, I'm a big proponent of setting up a big monitor, color calibrating it with an X-Rite, uh, with an X-Rite uh, calibrator, with an I1 or or one of their pucks, and really being able to look at the images, even if you're setting up a laptop and see what moving the light six inches this way does or four inches that way or moving it left, moving it right, moving it sideways, um, turning it up, turning it down. And I think what happens here in the process is you start to develop a style. You start to develop um, preferences, right? And from those preferences, you're able to uh, discern what you like more one way or the other. I like it bright. I like it yellow. I like it top lid. I like it back lid. I like it, you know, and the style comes from the, the style comes from being in that moment and looking at images and having to make a decision. Do I like the one on the left? Do I like the one on the right? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, we take, you know, it's that two hours before the shoot, when you're setting up the lights that, or the pre-light day that we nail everything down and, and have it rocking and get to play with it. And that's where the learning is, yeah. not during the shoot. The, the, there's different learning during the shoot. It's how to talk to a subject and deal with a subject. And, and the, the, the learning during the shoot is, is you know, focused on the action and you performing. And, but the learning beforehand should be, well, do I like, vanilla do i like chocolate do i like strawberry do i like you know Mm -hmm. people from the very simple thing when you're like sinking your strobe outside with the sky people tell me what what exposure to go you do you go for on the sky and my point is well what do you like yeah yeah it's objective right yeah it's subjective so yeah the more important thing is is seeing and i mean i discuss in in the book um i discuss um, you know, how I go about stuff. But ultimately, 
you know, that the, you as a photographer um, have to try, you know, different, you know, a couple of different exposures and look at them and figure out what you like. And then that's the trail to developing your own style. Yeah. So, you know, and, and speaking of, of just sort of style and, and, and that sort of thing, I'm looking at your work here and I'm seeing photography of, of celebrities. I mean, there's Steve Martin, Kanye West, Shaquille O'Neal, the list goes on and on. How, you know, from a, from a psychology standpoint in the photographer, you know, one of these guys comes into your studio, presumably with, you know, an, an entourage around them. How do you manage that mentally? Or how do you how do you get the shot under that level of pressure? Well, I mean, it, it's the, the pressure's in your mind. I mean, there's certainly there's got to be a certain amount of pressure because you have to complete your task, right? You you just have to, you know, you know you got to finish the shoot. You might have a half an hour. You might have more time, but whatever it is, you know, you have to complete it. So so there is that pressure there, but I try to go the other way. I try to be like really down to earth, really communicative with my subjects. Um, tell them what's expected, uh, you know, tell them what's expected of them. Tell them what the, what the day or the hour or the half an hour is going to look like. You know, I want to shoot a couple of tests and then I want to shoot you in two different, you know, two different sets and explain it to them and, and really have this great open communication. And, listen to them, you know, and I think it's important. And in the end, the, the, in the end, the thing you have to realize is the, you know, the subject is always right. If they don't want to do something, you know, there's only so hard you can push, but it's going to fall apart if you push too hard. Yeah. So, you know, it's, you just have to be careful. So, yeah. yeah. And, and treat them with kid gloves and respect and all that stuff. So it's like yeah, anybody else, right? Just respect, and you know, I try to be down to earth. At the beginning of a shoot, I'll sit in here and make up and and chat them up and find out what they're into, and you know, oh, that's our little warning so we don't get uh, hit by street cleaning. <laughs> okay, so here here's you know the 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 big thing that I wanted to talk, talk about. And it's your book, right? So you know, yeah, it's a fantastic book, but I want to take it from the from the standpoint of photography and. You know, more of, you know, of course, it's a phot photographic book or photography book, but taking from how you did it and your mindset from going from the print world, and arguably you're still in the print world, but, you know, going from the print world, transitioning into digital. Like you, like you were saying in the beginning, you, you notice the trends on the torrents, you know, of course, people are downloading it. So there's there's a desire for it to get it to consume it electronically. So you follow that up. But you know, going through the process, take me through that, you know, dealing with iTunes and all that stuff. Take me through how it was compared to dealing with a traditional publisher. Well, we did it ourselves. We actually have started uh, a, an imprint called Naked Editions. And we have the ability for photographers at this point to uh, self-publish their books. And we have the, the ability to produce and self-publish um, uh, ebooks for photographers and we have the distribution stream. So, I, I mean, it, it, for me, I basically, you, Watson Guptill did lighting in the dramatic portrait. 
they did well. The book sold almost 25,000 copies in the U.S. Wow. It's sold in Taiwan, Korea, Brazil. It's gotten worldwide play. So for a niche book, uh, you know, what you would look at as a, uh, a niche book uh, in lighting, um, um, it, it's done very, very well. You know, it sold about 35,000 copies. So we started seeing it. I get a Google alert, and I think... I think it's smart for most photographers to put their company name or they should do Google alerts. It's a great tool. So Google will tell you when your name pops up on the internet and lighting in the dramatic portrait kept coming up in all of these torrent downloads and sharing sites. So I, you know, I kept looking at this going, wow, that's a lot of people <laughs> ripping off this book. Yeah. So I Look at those like numbers, a, and there's yeah. no dollars attached to them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so we looked at our contract, and I realized I had the rights to, uh, to do my own ebook, and we started doing it. I, I got my 19-year-old Dakota Greco involved. He learned how to code um, um, ebooks mm -hmm. and we as a studio learned how to deal with the images because you know you have a 200 page book with 200 images it's hard to get that down to 20 megs so we started looking at the science of doing all of this mm -hmm. and try to figure out uh you know we just tried to figure out you know how to do it and you know, we, we would upload it and say, nah, we don't quite like the way this looks and that looks. And, you know, so we've done it. We've, you know, the book is available. If you go to michaelgreco.com slash store, which is our store page on my site, the book is available for the iPad through iTunes, uh, the Kindle through Amazon and the Nook through Barnes and Noble. And we've converted it to all three formats and it's it's doing well. I mean, it you know, like I said, it was a it was a popular print book, and we just thought it it made a lot of sense to uh, it made a lot of sense to have it as an EPUB. E yeah. I mean, our our idea is like you know, you're inspired by something, or you want to know the how many li I have Greco's rules of light. I'm trying to now I have to count one, two. There's three rules of light, four, <laughs> almost four rules of light in the book. But if you want it as a reference or you're inspired by a picture or, you know, you want to keep it handy, it's a great way to be able to have it on your iPhone or your iPad or your Kindle and have it on set. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I like both because I have, I have both versions of your book and I have one on my, you know, I have a, a a, a, a shelf with all my favorite photography books on it, so we're lined up with bookends. And then I have my iPad that I can go through and I can lay in the bed and read through stuff. And I like to consume that way. Sometimes I like to pick up the, the hardcover book and flip through it with a cup of coffee, but sometimes I just want to, you know, grab the iPad and go to a coffee shop. I'm not going to take your book to a coffee shop with me, but I'm going to take my iPad <laughs> with me. So yeah, I think, I think the way the, the, I mean, you've seen the numbers, I'm sure the trends of, of, uh, adoption of these, uh, uh, iPads and other tablet devices and how people are changing the way that they read and consume this kind of information. I think you're right on the money with with changing this and making a an alternate version 
as a as a digital download. Now, with that, you know, Apple, you know, uh, a little while ago introduced iBook Author and i the the new design of iBooks, you know, for with basically with interactivity inside the book. So instead of a PDF, you can now have video and audio and 3D animations and all this stuff embedded inside the book. Do you you foresee any movement in that area for like upcoming titles? Well, it, we yes, and I think though that I think doing an ebook has to change the whole concept of a book because a print book hits the printer. The, the book, a photography book, should have some substance. It, it's going to the printer. You should give a reason for to someone for someone to buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, lighting in the dramatic portrait is almost two hundred pages, or it's over two hundred pages. Let me look. Hang on. I, I put the book in front of me, so yeah, it's one hundred and ninety-two pages. Like it was substantial. That's too substantial to do as an ebook and have video in it. Yeah. Because all, you know, Apple and Kindle and they all limit you on the file size. You know, they don't want wirelessly having to download 200 megabyte files. They have to be kept to 20 megabytes. Mm-hmm. So I, we didn't add any of the behind the scenes video to this and things like that. I think in future books, uh, the idea is, is that. Lighting in the Dramatic Portrait is my brand. It's my, you know, it's this asset that I have. And there'll be Lighting in the Port- Dramatic Portrait 2, Lighting in the Dramatic Portrait 3. And each one will then be smaller, but it'll have those other assets to it. That's, you know? a, that's a great brand. And you've got Lighting in the Dramatic Portrait Workshop as well, right? You, yes. The next one coming up this month. Yes, in Hawaii. Wow. You need, a, so, you need an assistant on that? or uh... I, I, I think I might. <laughs> Hey, call me up. I'll come. I'm I'm happy to go to Hawaii anytime. So so aside from the workshop, what's next for you know Michael Greco, photographer, director, speaker? Well, we're 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 pitching a series of political documentaries. We'll see if that happens. But I've got a Brazilian publisher doing some uh, more. They're publishing a 33 set portfolio of some of my landscape photography so they're taking some work that most people haven't seen of mine shot with uh, a Hasselblad X-Pan panoramic camera over the past five or six years and they're looking at publishing a fine art portfolio so we're we're very excited about that that's the next project and then you know we have a couple of other book projects and different media projects. Uh, so so there's, a, there's a lot of photographers that listen to this show. If they're interested in doing a book project with you, how do they get in touch with you? Uh, they could just send me an email at info at michaelgreco.com. And uh, I would first say that it should be, you know, a serious professional that has, uh, you know, that's not just doing a book for their own self-promotion, that really the book has substance to it, mm-hmm. um, um, that it's you know, something, because it's a big, it's a big venture. I mean, it, it, you know, if you're doing a print version of the book, you've got to hire a good designer. There's a publicist involved to make sure that there's publicity for the, for the project. Um, there it's, you never venture into this lightly and you have to sort of, uh, you know, you have to sort of go into it with that attitude. So you're doing it correctly. So, you're not just, hey, give me a, give me your PDF file and I'll throw it on my site. It's no, uh, yeah, you're, no. you're doing and, it the right way. And we're not doing PDFs. We're doing, we're converting these files, and they're real eBooks. They're, you know, the text is expandable. The pictures are expandable. There's, 
it's it's really interesting because a book are images, graphics, and and words laid out. An ebook, there's no layout. It's a linear format, so you know everything's sequential, so that it could flow through the reader, and the image sizes and the text sizes can change. So it's you have to throw out this idea of a traditional book when it goes to an ebook, and it becomes a linear format, and where the graphic goes, you have to now decide. It doesn't go in the upper right-hand corner of the page. It Does it go before the picture, after the picture, before the text, after the text? You know, it's a, it, it, you really have to think about it completely differently. I don't think a PDF is the way to go because the whole beauty of an ebook is to be able to expand the text and, you know, have the pages flow the way you want and yeah. things like that. Yeah, and it's got to it's got to conform itself to whatever device is looking at it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right, well, Michael. Uh, so we know that that folks, if they want to get lighting in the dramatic portrait, the ebook, or any of this other stuff, they can just head to michaelgreco.com/store. I'm looking at the page now. You've got your workshops there. You've got um, both ebook, or you got the ebook there and the print book that people can get to, and your fine art stuff is there as well. Is there any, anywhere else that you'd like the listeners to head to, to no, keep up with you? I mean, they could, uh, we're on Facebook. I have a Facebook page, Michael Greco photography, and, um, they can follow me on Twitter at Michael Greco with two C's. Um, but, uh, no, we're about to do probably in the next week or so, a major update to the site. So if people want to email me and let me know what they think when the sites change. They could look at it now and, and look at it in two weeks and tell me what they think. We'd, uh, we're always interested in hearing. But we're, you know, we're just always trying to keep, keep ahead of things. So That's great. Well, Michael, thanks again for, for taking the time to, to chat with me and the This Week in Photo audience. It's been very helpful. Thanks, Frederick. You're welcome. That was Michael Greco. Be sure to check out his work. It's very inspiring, and we'll have all of his links that he mentioned in that interview in the show notes for this episode. All right, before we move on to our feature discussion, uh, I want to give a nod to our other sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks. If you're in business for yourself or, you know, you're doing anything where you, people need to pay you, there's one thing that's really important, as most of the folks on this show know, is getting paid and following up with all that stuff. And one of the things that we as creatives hate generally is asking for money. You know, we like to make stuff, but we hate to ask for money to get paid for it. We hate seeing out invoices. We hate all that paperwork. It just goes on and on and on. So there's a service out there that makes all of this stuff painlessly easy and almost fun. For you. It's called FreshBooks.com. They've been around since 2004, and they're an online invoicing application that basically saves you time and helps you get paid faster. Cool thing about it, I use FreshBooks all the time, and when I have a client, I enter them into the service, especially if it's a it's a, on a retainer basis or if it's a recurring payment. I can enter them in there, and FreshBooks will automatically bill them. They'll email them a beautiful invoice with my logo and all that stuff on the top with a button on there that they can click to pay right there with a credit card. So I don't have to worry about anything. This money just shows up. You know, I get the thing done. It takes me about five minutes to set it up, turn it in, and it's, and it's just on autopilot from that point forward. And you can also intervene. So if there's an autopilot invoice that you have going out and you happen to have done some more work on that particular job, you can 
bring it up and add another line item. And the next time that thing goes out, it will have that the new amount in there. So, And they send you uh, reports every month to let you know who's paid you, who didn't pay you, how much money you have outstanding, how much money you took in. All that stuff is automated. So it's, it's cool because it lets us get back to the thing that we love doing. So definitely check them out. They're at uh, freshbooks.com. And make sure you tell them you heard about it on TWIP when they ask you about how you found out about it during sign up so that they can tell us that we're doing a good job. So definitely check that out. That's freshbooks.com. We've got a free trial that you can sign up for as well. All right, folks, it is time for the feature discussion that I want to chat about, and that's making money with photography. So uh, let's start with you, Dan. So you, you pay your mortgage, feed the kids, clothe yourself, buy gear, with photography, so which means you're not an amateur photographer. You are a professional photographer. Yeah. Um, let's. So if you're speaking to the guys that are out there that are they have their camera and one day they have aspirations to be Dan Ablin. They want to. <laughs> they want to have a brick and mortar store. They want to have clients coming in and they want to be you know doing the proof session next week like you're doing. How do they get started? What's the first step? Well, you know, I learned this early on because I was the same way and uh, another friend, pro photographer, had said this and it's it's really tough to accept, but you can't be the photographer that will ask to everything that, you know, yes, I'll shoot. Yeah, I'll shoot. Because like if you meet somebody, you know, are you a photographer? What do you shoot? Oh, well, you know, primarily this, but I'll shoot that and this and the other. Well, you know, the way you look at that is that you are now fighting for a huge piece of that pot. There's a huge pie out there, and you're just one of those little people trying to get at it. Um, for instance, like the very contemporary modern children's um, portraiture that's, that's just you know exploded. There's so many photographers all trying to do that same thing. Mm-hmm. So if you can find a niche and perfect that and be the best at it, people will seek you out. And it seems kind of backwards because you would think, well, if you only specialize in that one thing, you're cutting out all these other avenues. But you're really not because you're being the best in that one thing. Yep. Think about uh, a specialty restaurant that's just out you know, weeks in advance because they're unique. But then you've got Chili's and Friday's and all these places that are all kind of the same. It's kind of like that. So I think that's one way to go is just really just find your niche and perfect it. Yeah, specialize, get vertical. Specialize. Yeah. yeah, as they say in business, you know, and especially in marketing, if you you find a niche and then niche down from that and then target that and be the best that you can at that one particular thing. Kind of like what Trey Trey Radcliffe did. He's like he looked at digital photography and then he looked at um landscapes and then he looked at HDR of those landscapes yeah. and just decided to focus laser focus on that one vertical and burn a hole in it and he did. Yeah. yeah, and everybody says, you know, oh well, don't look at the competition and don't look around you. And no, do look around you. See what see what somebody's doing next to you. But think, okay, well, how can I do something different? You know, don't say, oh, I need to do it like that. Don't copy somebody because you're going to waste all your time kind of looking to your side and looking behind you instead of just saying, just being creative and just doing your own thing. And it will, you know, look at how look at what an oddball Lady Gaga is, but. It works for her, you know, because it's her own unique thing. And, and I think the same can be said for photographers. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nicole, what about you? You're, you're making money with photography as well. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to someone that, that wants to jump in with both feet and say go and walk down your path and become, oh. a, become a, you know, a successful stock photographer, you know, making money and traveling the world and shooting? What do they do? How do they get well, started? I will say it's, 
it's very I mean, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult uh, now to get into stock photography compared to when I started back in 2006. I actually um, kind of stumbled into stock photography and I wasn't I didn't really consider myself a photographer when I first started. I just was looking for a way to get back into photography and, and you know, find a focus for uh, for shooting. And I, you know, started out and it was a slow start, but it, I was making money on it. And then I eventually I was in the military at the time, eventually got out of the military. And I now I do it full time and it allows me to do a lot of other projects like write books and have other you know side jobs on the side. Everything's basically photography or Photoshop related, which is wonderful. But See, that's, uh, that's why you're so cool at the DNA level. It's that military background. Right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> But, you know, I would say that it takes a lot of persistence and, uh, you know, you really have to stick with it if it's something you really want to do. And, you know, you keep learning. I mean, this is this is very it's very cheesy and cliche what I'm saying, but it's really the honest truth. You know, I I subscribe to um, you know, I have Kelby Training and Lynda.com and I, you know, I'm trying to learn InDesign because I'm going to be writing and designing my own ebook here shortly. So, you know, there's all these little things that uh, that I've I've learned because I, without even realizing that they would be um, in my inventory of things that I would actually get to do when I first started doing photography. You know, it's because my photography, the photography that I do, takes. Um, a considerably less amount of my time than all of the other things that I do. And that probably is the same for any photographer who has the business side, you know, cause there's so much business to, st- I guess, a standard photography. My business model is very unique. I create photos, I upload them to iStock and then people license them, you know, and there's not a lot of, um, there's really, there's no marketing that unless I want there to be, which I, I don't really need there to be any. Uh, so I, I don't have to deal with customers, so there's a lot of that that's off of my plate. So that's why it allows me to do other things. So, yeah. <laughs> but you, you have to, you know, just kind of find a good balance with all that. Love it. Uh, Tristan, what about you? So you take it from a slightly different tack. You are a publisher, right? So you run Common yeah. Media, which is, which is a photography magazine. So you're still making money from photography, but you're doing it in a different way. How would, you know, I don't want to take it down the, the, the path of how does someone start being a publisher, but if they want to get paid for for just writing or, you know, or publishing their photos, what, what would you, you know, what advice as a publisher would you give them? Well, I think the, the critical thing is, is to get your work out there. Um, you know, so make sure that, that you are kind of getting your work out there and people are getting to see what it is. If you're wanting to, to get a bit of public limelight, and I think from a marketing perspective, you know, you want, you want the general public to, to be out there as well. But I think with, um, with publishers and that, the main thing is to, you know, just pitch to them, get, let them see your work. Um, I think, it, you know, as Dan said, being a, a specialist in a field helps a great deal because that, that off, obviously adds a bit more credibility to when you speak on, on that particular topic. Um, uh, but I, I think that you, you need to just make sure that your work is out there and that people are getting to know who you are. And um, I, I also think, um, you know, in South Africa, we've got a, We've got a group of, of photographers who are very old school and closed minded. You know, when people are trying to break into the field for the first time, they, they can be very um, anti the idea and kind of push people away and say, don't do it. It's not worth your while and, and things like that. And I'm increasingly noticing that the people that are gaining the greatest um, success are, are those which are more opening and inviting to other people. Photographers that, that do what is good for the greater good of photography and not for the greater good of themselves. Um, and you know, the, I think part of the reason for that is, is that there's a lot of work out there more than what people sometimes, um, think that there is. And 
you know, it gets shared around when photographers are busy, they pass it on to someone else that they know and they trust. And so I think, you know, the, the bit important part is to plug into, and, and it goes for any field that you're involved in, but I think particularly in photography, plug into the, the greater community of, of photography and do what is for the greater good of photography. Um, you see somebody struggling, you know, help them out. And if you've learned a lesson in that particular area, you know, lift somebody up and, and help them out in, in a situation where they perhaps don't know any better or they, they're unsure of what's going on. You'll find very often um, that that when you're fortunate enough to be in a similar position, somebody will do the same to you and just give back to the community. And that's the kind of thing we look at is when, when we're looking at photographers that we we want to feature in the magazine, um, you know, first of all, we we go you know looking around on the web and finding places you know people's work that really inspires us and we approach those people and and um but some of the great greatest stuff we've seen have been people that have come to us and said look we've got this project we've been doing and what do you think of it and there's some really fantastic uh, work out there but it's you know we if you're wanting to get published you've got to make sure that the publishers know that it's out there um, if we don't know that it's out there, we can't feature it. So, right. you know, don't be afraid to, you know, s- you know, send an email and pick up the phone and, and speak to people about what it is that you're doing um, so that they can know what's out there. And, and you know, at, at, at worst, you'll go away with feedback as to, you know, what you could maybe be improving on or what the market um, from a publishing perspective is is looking for. So I think that's that's really the critical thing is don't be afraid to kind of share your stuff. Um, I think many photographers are very um, kind of particularly starting out are, are very self-conscious about their work and we tend to be our greatest critics. Um, and, you know, sometimes you you need to have a bit of confidence and put your stuff out there. And, you know, at worst, as I say, you're going to get some, hopefully some good constructive um, feedback to, to kind of help you improve and build your stuff. And, you know, you always, there's that chance that you're going to get published, that people, other people are going to get to see your work. Whereas if, if you weren't, if you didn't put your stuff out there, good or bad, then there's no chance that you would ever get published. <laughs> no, exactly. Right? <laughs> you're not going to improve and, and you're never going to get your work shown. Yeah. 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 Well, Go ahead, I want Nicole. to comment on what Tristan said because uh, I think that's really, really important to, uh, you know, be open to critique. But, you know, there's, there's, there are two sides to that. You know, find the people that you want, that you respect to critique your work. And, you know, whereas if you're going to put your images online, it's great. You know, if you're open to people critiquing or just commenting, that's wonderful. And everyone loves, especially when we hear nice things about our images. But you kind of have to take everything that you see online, even the good stuff, almost especially the good stuff with a grain of salt. Because, you, you know, like, have you ever looked at a a really what you consider maybe a really bad photo and see all these people just saying, Oh, it's beautiful. It's wonderful. You know? And, yeah. and you're like, that's flicker. Really you're talking not. about flicker right now, right? Yeah, I, well, it, you know, you see it everywhere. So yeah. it's, you know, you really kind of have to make sure that the people, when, when you hear critique from the people that you respect, um, you know, you admire, uh, that's when it really has, for me, at least it has a lot more depth and meaning. And I grow from that. Uh, instead of just hearing, you know, oh, it's great. It, you know, makes me hungry. It looks. I do a lot of food, so that's why I hear that a lot. But yeah. um, so, <laughs> my two sons. That's, that's great. I'm going to bring Dan. <laughs> Skype kicked Dan off, so I'm going to try to bring him back in. For some reason, it doesn't like what he has to say this evening. So <laughs> let's see if we can reconnect him. It's ringing. Dan, you there? Yeah. 
All right. So I was saying before I got you back in here that uh, Skype, for some reason, does not like what you have to say this evening. I <laughs> I don't know why they're editing you over there. Let's <laughs> so, just crap it out. So uh, let's just let's jump to you, Dan. What, how did you get started as a photographer? Or just like, let's take it a level down. Let's niche it down a little bit. Okay. What was your first paying gig and how did you land it? Gosh. Well, you know, I started shooting at 13 and then, you know, did it all through high school and Honestly, my first paying photography job was in high school for uh, this little neighborhood in Chicago where, where I grew up. Um, the, <laughs> the Beverly Review was a little local newspaper. And uh, then I actually got a few jobs for some car dealerships doing ads for their news, doing photos for their newspaper ads. Yeah, cool. um, but then, you know, I didn't really get paid to do photography probably till after college, you know, going to college for it. But at that point, switched over to broadcast and just kept my photography as my own thing. And, um, so when we had uh, started, my wife and I started to say, "Let's why don't we really try and open our studio and add it on to our 3D animation business?" Um, it was very odd getting paid for a shoot, mm-hmm. and the, the you know I remember <laughs> this was only just, this was three years just three years ago um, when we started doing when we opened the studio and when we had that first shoot and started doing reviews and sales. It was you almost felt guilty in a way because it had been so many years just shooting for fun and. Uh, shooting for 3D and then just shooting for family. Um, now, of course, it's completely different, and you know everybody has to pay. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. yeah, so it's uh, that's that's how pretty much I started doing uh, a little more advertising, commercial work, and now we just do portraits. That's great, and it all sprung from there. Now look at you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talking Ni- on Twip. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nicole, Nicole, what about you? What was your what was the first time that you actually someone handed over some cold hard cash for you clicking the shutter? Well, actually, that was back in high school. I photographed my friend's sister's wedding. I don't know why I did that, but uh, I didn't. And you and you came back to photography after that. I did. I honestly, I don't even know what the photos look like. I I was, you know, gave them all the negatives and everything just because it was, you know, I had no reason to keep them, especially at that age. Uh, And I think I made, you know, maybe three or four hundred dollars on the prints because I worked at a I worked at a film lab, so. I got I paid cost for my paper, so nice. you know I didn't really have to spend a whole lot on making the prints. So I, they got a pretty good deal, and I got some experience. And but I, I think that was the actual first time I ever got paid. But you know now the way my my like I, like I mentioned earlier, my business model is very different. I don't really have clients. I just um, I make royalties on on iStock photos where I license my photos through. So. It's it's very different for me. You're like you're you're shooting images up into a giant cloud, and every now and then yeah. it rains on you, right? Yeah, <laughs> you just That's put buckets out. Model. Yeah, you just put buckets out. You capture the rain. You're all good. <laughs> If you don't, if you don't have people skills in particular, that's a highly recommended business model. <laughs> yeah, you can do I think it people under seriously house. underrate the the you know the importance of of people skills um, when you get into this business. Hey, Tristan, Nicole has people skills. I don't know if you're referring to no, her. no. I know, I know, Nicole does, but I'm just saying, um, you know, it's it's important to to kind of make sure that you realize if you're going into photography, you're more than likely going to have to deal with people. So mm-hmm. you have, um, yeah, especially yeah. if you want to photograph people, and that's you, know, you exactly. see a lot of people who are very hesitant to get into photographing people because they they just don't know what to do or they've never done it before so it's new to them and so it's it's yeah you, i completely agree with you Tristan. you have to be a very good people person yeah yeah there's a certain psychology involved with it you know i call it the jedi mind trick you have to like <laughs> convince people to let you take their photo without them getting nervous and all that stuff so. and actually telling them the prices and you know mm-hmm. 
it's not mm. you know everybody thinks it's negotiable like you're going to a if they come in they come into our studio like they're going to use color and they're ready to negotiate i'm like no it doesn't work that way and i i learned from another photographer a long long time ago tell them the prices and then shut up mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah and you know what and it works it's really? This, well, you know, take me through that. How does that work? So I come into your studio, and you've done a session for me last week, and you say, "Hey, Frederick, uh, it's all done." So package number one is nine hundred. Package yeah. number two is twelve hundred. Package number three is three thousand. No, it doesn't work. That, no, not at all. Actually, I'll give you. I'll go through real quick. Tonight we did a shoot. Um, put the put the raw photos in folder on the Drobo, uh, backed it up to a DVD-ROM, and then put it in the Lightroom. I'll, out of the 60 or so shots, I'll pick the best 20 or 30. Um, crop and tone, balance in Lightroom, export it out with a imagenomic portraiture and sharpening uh, for about... Uh, not not super high res, but not low res either. Send it to the other room, which will present on a projection screen. Do a quick slideshow for them next week when they come in. And then go through it one by one, and we use ProSelect. And they will then – don't have to say yes, but just kind of know or maybe. And go down their best. And then from there, once we start talking about pricing, and you know, we already had a consult with them. And that's that's huge that we get them into the studio before the shoot talk about what they're going to wear, talk about where the portrait's going to go in their home. So everybody's on the same page. And when we're shooting, we knew tonight we needed vertical. We knew probably what size they're going to go with, what colors they wanted in the background to match their walls at their home. So all of that really helps beforehand. And then when it comes time for the pricing, we we actually have a printed 11 by 14 price board. Uh, And we just basically, uh, that's this price. And we just point to it. We don't really say the prices. We just show them. And we don't have packages, and we don't have a minimum, and we just don't feel like pressuring people. I never wanted to do that. So they buy, did, they buy the prints a la carte? They'll just say, carte, I right. want 11 by 14, and it's this much, period. Yeah, yeah. And, and they, 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 at that point, they've paid for their session already, right? Or We do, we do a 225 session, and $100 of that goes towards whatever they order. Okay. And that's it. No minimums, uh, no pressure, because we didn't like it when our daughter was little. And i got to tell you, it forces us to work harder and do better for them. You know, if you know you're going to get your minimum either way, I, I, it's kind of a kind of a crappy way to work. That um, you, I think you become lazy, so it, it forces us to just really just push a little further and really cater to them and really custom, which is you know what we do. And then you know you can sell more, hopefully that so they, Dan, they Dan, like me, that many shots. You got you got to be honest. You're amongst friends here. <laughs> do you like? Do you peek out of the window when they're when they're driving up to see what kind of car they're driving, and then pull out a price sheet based on that car? No. Uh, well, yes and no. no. They get the Mercedes price list versus they get the Prius price list. You know? I will tell you, I'll tell you what we do look. I do look at that, um, but that doesn't influence anything because I can tell you right now, the ones that live in the country club that pull up in the Lexus are the ones that don't want to spend fifty dollars on a print. And we learned probably, that's how they got the Lexus, right? <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. yeah, we learned firsthand. Don't ever judge a book by its cover when the clients come in yeah. um, because the ones you don't think will spend two or $3,000 and the other ones complain about $60. So wow. um, yeah, we just, just everybody's the same. Our pricing's all the same. So yeah, that, that would be kind of a bad thing to do. Yeah, that would be. That's cool. All right. Uh, let's jump into our listener Q and a segment. This is where our guests, you guys get to answer questions that have funneled into us via our Facebook group, Twitter, or our Google Plus page, or even some people even just, you know, send in comments from the blog. Um, question number one is from Rini. I'm going to, Nicole, you want to take this one? Yeah, sure. Uh, Rini from Germany asks, I'll be going with my wife on a seven-day ship 
uh, a seven-day cruise to Norway in June. I need some general tips on what and how to get some interesting shots around and off the ship. Do I need a tripod or just fast lenses? And then he lists the lenses and his camera's got a 5D. I'm assuming, I think that's a Mark, is that Mark 1 or 2? I can't read the... I don't know. Mark something. Mark Mark something. (laughs) And a 7D. So he's got two cameras, uh, 1635, 70 to 200, and 24105. And then he asks if there's anything else that would make sense to borrow. Um, I think, I mean, that's a lot. I would say that's probably enough. uh, Unless... Bring mm-hmm. a tripod. Definitely, you know, if it, it depends, it's always one of these. It depends. Everybody loves that answer, but it's <laughs> what yes do you want to and no is yeah. the other one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like like if I were traveling, I would probably bring um, maybe two camera bodies, depending on how much I room I had. I would bring my seventy to two hundred. I'd bring my twenty four, and I'd make sure that I had my tripod so I could do some long exposures, whether I want to blur water or get night shots. If he's going to be up in Norway. You might be able to see the aurora borealis out there. I'm not sure what oh, the, yeah, yeah. the, you know, what, what, but I know that they've been talking about it in the last week. So if, if he's going soon, then yeah, bring a tripod. You, you might, you could get some really cool stuff on the boat, you know, where you keep the boat in focus and in the front, you know, uh, you know, and then the, everything's moving in the background. So I would say just add a tripod to that. Yeah, that's very good. Good advice. Mm-hmm. What about you, uh, Tristan? You have anything to add to that? No, I think that's that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. What about you, Dan? Anything I got else, one. Uh, anything yeah. else Rini should bring? Well, I think it's a little overkill, to be honest. I mean, granted, it's, it might be a once-in-a-lifetime once trip going to Norway, but we've done a cruise, and I went with my, at the time, Canon 1D Mark III and a 24 and I was absolutely fine. Um, I... It's going to sound really bad. I hate tripods, <laughs> but I, 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 I have a camera stand so I can roll around and I can move because I, I like to move around a lot. And now with the high ISOs and low noise, you can just really just jack that up and not worry too much about stability. That being said, um, I don't know if cruise ships, you know, if you know, you can't set up a tripod now in a lot of places. So I don't know how that. I don't think that is the same on cruise ships, but they can go with um, like a Joby Gorilla Pod too. Mm-hmm. You know, packs really small. They can wrap it around things, and might be might be a nice option. Yeah, yeah. It really depends. I would say, like, okay, like my boyfriend and I were both photographers, so if we went on a cruise, we would have the you know we'd have all the stuff that we'd take if we were going to go out, uh, you know, and shoot in the in the, around this area. You know, we'd have a, a good assortment of lenses. You know, maybe a couple lenses, camera, definitely a tripod and some filters. So, but if you're just walking around, let's say his wife. You know, whoever you know you're traveling with, they're not photographers. They're not really going to want to focus on photography like some people would. So yeah, it depends on what you want to shoot. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I guess it it does depend. It depends on what your focus is. And you like you know, like Dan was saying, if you if you are you want to enjoy the vacation and your focus isn't on getting stock. Like Nicole, if you went on a exactly. cruise ship, you'd be like, oh, I can't go up there. I got to come back with some. I got to come back with some images, or I'm gonna be kicking myself. But <laughs> if that's not the case, then you know. But Dan, I would I would disagree. I mean, on the on the tripod side, because if you're like Nicole was saying, especially if you're going to some place that presumably is going to be relatively exotic, it'd be great to get some long exposures and do some HDR work yeah. and all that. And you're not going to do any HDR work, you know, hand holding or even with a gorilla pod. I don't think. Yeah. You know. And you need you a, could do it. You, you could do it. it. You could do it. But it would be a little no. bit sharper with a heavy tripod. That's a tough call. Like, yeah, like a place like that. I mean, it's like a once, you know, a Caribbean cruise, no. But a, a Norway cruise, yeah. I mean, that's yeah. – take advantage of it and do bring those other things. All right. So the next question, uh, let's see. Dan, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
Oh no, we can we can end. I'm just it's saying it's it's tough to figure out what to take when you're traveling when you're as a photographer. So yeah, yeah, that. yeah. <laughs> it's like you know, packing for an adventure. Yeah. So the next one's from Stephen Bailey. Dan, I'm gonna throw it to you. Sure. You want to take this one? Uh, yeah. Stephen says uh, you all mentioned at one time or another that you sell equipment that you no longer need or need to sell or upgrade to newer stuff. Any particular avenue you would use to get the best price? Um, and I have actually done this, and, and Frederick, you know this, that <laughs> I sold my entire Canon line to go Nikon a few years ago. Yep. Uh, 85, 1.2, 200-millimeter, everything. And, and Nicole I, bought it because she, she went Canon. <laughs> <the other. laughs> and I, um, I actually sold it on – I can't remember the uh, the website. It was uh, – oh, God, I can't remember now. KEH? No, but it was a paid. It was a paid forum, just a photography forum. Hmm. Um, gosh, I can't remember offhand. No, you remember uh, it. We'll we'll put it in the show notes. That's fine. Yeah, and then um, another place is uh, Lori Excel's Equipment Lady dot com. Huh? What is that again? Say that. Say that. Uh, Lori Excel. She has Equipment Lady dot com. Huh? Equipment Lady. Camera gear for sale, and uh, you can you can she buys and sells. Very cool. All right, yeah. Nicole. So what are, what, what about you? How do you liquidate your stuff? Well, I, I haven't sold a lot of things, uh, but actually this is perfect timing for me because I literally yesterday put my Canon 7D in the mail because I just sold it. And my philosophy when it comes to stuff like this is I always try to find somebody that I know or who knows somebody who's a, like a friend of a friend where Absolutely. I don't have to – because I have, I have quite a few followers, especially Google+, uh, Twitter, and if I were to post something like that, I would – I mean, I'm not saying that everyone in the world is going to want to buy it, but I'm going to get enough, you know, you're, I'm going to get enough response that it's going to just take time to have to either haggle back and forth, figure yeah. out a price, and then after it's sold, you're still going to be getting those emails, and you're still going to have to take your time. So for me, even if like I, I sold my 7D, the grip, I mean, I I gave a pretty good price for it. You know, I didn't really ask because it's a friend of a friend, you know, and so it's so I, I probably could have gotten a few hundred dollars more if I'd gone it like a traditional route, but I. Uh, I didn't have to like take up tons of time. You know, that's time is so much more valuable to me than money. And that's where, that's how I, that's how I see it. So if I can find somebody to take it off my hands, if I say, if, if they save a few hundred dollars, especially if it's friend, Hey, that's good for them, you know? And it actually ended up going to uh, my friend's niece, who's a photography student. thought it was a good thing to do. And yeah. So well, what about you, Tristan? What's your, uh, what's your, your favorite method for liquidating your gear? I don't own any cameras. I normally just borrow them from other people, <laughs> namely like Sony or Canon or. Um, uh, but no, if I do, if I do land up selling something, it's um, normally what I do is we've got a very good uh, secondhand uh, camera dealer here in Joburg, which um, I would normally go and, and trade the the product in for whatever else I'm looking for. Um, and yeah, I'm, I could probably get a little bit more money selling it privately, but. You know, I've got the there's there's very little hassle value involved with it. Um, you know, it's a case of just being able to trade it in, get a, a good price on on whatever else you're looking for new, and um, you know, forget about it kind of thing. They they test the stuff, they handle warranty for whoever's buying it, and that kind of thing. So I, that's normally the the way I would go um, is to to trade it in with them. 
Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. My, you know, for me personally, there's a couple of ways that you could go. I, Nicole, I agree with you a hundred percent. If you can sell it to a friend or a friend of a friend or a family member or somebody that's, it's almost friction free. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you can't, then there are other services. There's, um, you know, Amazon, of course, you can sell stuff on Amazon. There's eBay where you can, you can go that route or Craigslist and then even Gazelle. You know, you can use those services to to liquidate, and with varying degrees of success in terms of how much money you're going to get mm-hmm. for the for the, and then uh, you know, of course, with the the effort to to the money equation, you might just break even. Right? Yeah, you know, if you're spending four hours or five hours trying to go back and forth with somebody and get the money, and then you know, and fend off the Nigerian scammers and all that <laughs> stuff, you know. <laughs> then you know it might just make sense to keep it like with my ipad i'm gonna get the ipad 3 but i I can't i'm not gonna make enough money on my ipad 1 to warrant all the effort that it would take to sell it and ship it and drive to the ups store and all that stuff so i'm just gonna keep it it's gonna be nostalgia you know it's ipad 1 it was the first one it's it's historic i just actually kind of kind of going slightly off topic here you know with uh, selling things i i have i had an ipad and I had iPad one, uh, the first gen, sixty four gig, three uh, G. So it was kind of like you know the meatiest one you could you could you could get when they first came out. Well, I think it's still the meatiest one you can get. But uh, I actually traded it into Amazon. I got I sh- you know they're gonna. It was in pristine condition, so I don't expect to get anything less than you know two seventy five, which is what they they offer. But you know you try and sell something like an iPad out in the public, you know, if we're afraid of the Nigerian scammers, they're going to think that we're a scammer, you know, they're going to, because iPad is one of those things. If you just, I think I mentioned iPad on Twitter and I got like three or four spammers, like immediately, you know, spam bops sending some weird link Mm. and then get blocked and spam and everything. So it's, it's just, it's just hassle. And, you know, I I got almost $300 for it. That was more than I was expecting. And I'm happy that's going towards my, my iPad three, you know, so. Yeah. Hey Tristan, can you can you hop in the car tomorrow and drive up to Nigeria and tell them to stop with the <laughs> scamming and spamming? It's 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 getting a little old now. <laughs> no, um, we actually had a bit of a, a political raucous. Uh, yeah, South Africans and Nigerians don't necessarily see eye to eye, Uh-oh. and um, some some Nigerians were turned away with f- apparently fake yellow fever cards. Um, coming into South Africa, so they just turned around a whole plane of South Africans and sent them back. <laughs> oh, wow. a, a whole plane! <laughs> wow, Jeez. pretty much. Yeah, you know, you gotta feel real sorry for the legitimate Nigerian business people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I I totally agree. Yeah, that's and and there's a lot of them. There's a lot of them. It's just the few that are so much louder. That's the problem. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's the 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 loud ones that are doing the nefarious things have certainly sullied eBay and that sort of thing for me at least. Yeah, because you can't go on yeah. there without getting a bunch of people saying, "Hey, it would be great." Yeah, you. I want to buy your Nikon. Just send me, you know, and I'll send you like five times what it's worth if you send me, you know, a hundred dollars. But it's it's funny you mention that you know we've had um, the this camera store in Joburg that I normally use they they've been selling some of their more collectible stuff in eBay and that and and they've been shipping quite a bit of stuff to the east and they've been having issues there as well you know a, a product which they test and make sure everything's working fine gets there and um, you know the guys saying no but the shutter in the Hasselblad lens isn't working or you know something like that and it was working fine when it left here um, and mm. at the, you know they they're getting to the point where it's like is it really worthwhile anymore kind of doing this long distance selling or whatever and kind of just again turning it back to the local market rather so yeah, yeah. all right well 
looks like we lost Dan. I'm going to try to get him back on again for some reason. I want to at least have him say where he's, uh, where people can find him. Dan, are you back? Yeah. All right. Let's let's. I'm going to let you go first as we close the show. I'm going to let you go first with your pick of the week before we lose you again. <laughs> My God. All right. Uh, mine's very very simple, but it's something that uh, I've been looking at. It's the uh, Nikon AF-S Nikkor 85 1.8G lens. Um, I had an 85 1.2 on my Canon years ago, and it was the hardest part of getting rid of the Canon line. And I never got back into that because, you know, the $1,800 lenses, the 85 1.4 Nikon, was, uh, it, it is 1600 Now this new 1.8 coming out is 499 mm. Wow. lightweight. Yeah. Wow. All right. That's yeah, a nice lens. Yeah. Great. See, I hate this segment. See? <laughs> now I got to go get one of those. All right, cool. Nicole, what's your pick of the week? Uh, my pick is the X-Rite Color Checker Passport. It's a little thing with a bunch of color squares. On it. And it, it, it helps you basically get the correct color profile for your image. It's. I think that the misconception is that it's like a way to correct your white balance in your image. And that's not really all it does. It um, You can you throw it into Lightroom or Aperture or you use their software and you run it through their you know their their app or their program or however their voodoo magic works and then it uh comes up with a proper uh color for your images and it's great for product photography and basically you just throw it in the scene so you have you have a yeah. reference point for what true exactly. true colors are so exactly. you can balance based on that yeah exactly very cool all right that's the x-rite the X-Rite Color Checker Passport. And that's, is, that, is that the small enough one? It's small enough to fit in your bag, right? Oh, yeah. It's really small. Uh, it's, it's nothing new. I just, I just recently got one like a few months ago, and I just thought I'd, I'd, I've just kind of slowly been integrating it into my workflow. So I wanted to kind of you know, give them a, a little bit of a love over there. But, yeah, it's like a little um, – it's literally like the size of a passport. I think that's why they call it the passport. Uh, my only gripe is that the outside is all black. So I put a piece of white gaffer tape on it. And wrote my name on it. <laughs> oh, very good. Cool. Because it's it's so hard to lose. It's very easy to lose in your bag. So right. that's but you it, yeah. Got a key in on something. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. All right, and Tristan Hall, what's your pick of the week? I'm going to give two quick ones because they're kind of related. I know Instagram is coming to Android soon, um, but uh, in if people are looking for an alternative on Android. Um, you know the the, the lightbox.com app is a really great uh, app it's got some fantastic photographs on there it's not just full of people kind of uploading what they had for for breakfast or whatever the case is there's some some fantastic um photographs that people are using because they've got a a great um web-based service as well so that's a a, a cool um, app to use and then it's a good Instagram alternative and part of why I just, is um, I kicked off on the 1st of January with a, a 366 project uh, being a leap year and um, I've you know I think it's it's important for people to just you know give themselves a project and focus on something one of the, the big pluses with that is it's forced me every day to look for something to shoot you know with the main you get so busy sometimes that like even if when you're reviewing a camera you you barely get a time to, sh- to shoot stuff for yourself and uh, this project has forced me to look for photographs around me to shoot for myself some days when it's been really busy it's like 11 p.m. and you realize oh I haven't shot a photograph for today and you start looking at the things around you in a very different way to what you normally would. Um, even mundane objects take on a, a kind of a, a new um, perspective if you if you look at them in the right way. So, um, and then I use Lightbox to then you know share that with people on on Facebook and Twitter and Flickr etc. So, yeah. 
Very cool. All right, I may have to, I may have to start up one of those projects. I keep threatening to do that, but then you know, it's it's not the it's not the three sixty six that I'm scared of. It's the one. It's the first one. <laughs> well, once you get started, it's. But you, you know, with this one, I forced myself to do the whole project so far has been done on a mobile device. Um, even if I shoot on an SLR camera, I import it again to my mobile device and do my editing and everything there and share it from from the mobile platform. Because if I've got to take my card out and plug it into uh, a computer and stuff like that it's just never going to happen um there's just too many other distractions that happen on my pc so i'd rather just run everything from my mobile device and it's made it a lot easier yeah yeah so cool. all right well, your iphone 4s very cool all right uh and my pick of the week is self-serving and narcissistic by design <laughs> So, uh, as I've been saying on the show, I launched a new company called Media Bytes. It's a marketing school for photographers. And one of the first products that I put in the site is uh, the Photographer Interview Series. It's 28 interviews of photographers that you can listen to and download and do all that cool stuff with. So, uh, check it out. It's, o- it's over or just about 24 full hours of audio. Wow. So, so, give it a shout. And uh, mm. you know, I'd be happy to see some Twippers come through. I would love that. And uh, for the TWIP audience, I'm not going to say it on the show because I'm not exactly sure what the code is going to be yet. But in the show notes for this blog post, I will place a coupon code for a discount on that series. It's 37 bucks, but it, uh, you know, I'm going to discount it for my TWIP audience, of course, because I love you guys. And uh, that's my narcissistic self-serving pick <laughs> of the week. <laughs> All right. It looks like we're at the end of another episode. Nicole S. Young, a.k.a. Nicole Z, where can people go to find you? Uh, you can find me at NicoleZblog.com. I'm on Twitter, which is Nicole Z, and NicoleZplus.com will get you to my Google Plus page. All right. And Dan Ablin, before Skype kicks you off again, <laughs> what, yeah. where can people uh, go to find you? Uh, our main photography website is Ablin Gallery, A-B-L-A-N, AblinGallery.com, and then uh, Facebook.com slash Dan Ablin. All right. We got it in there. All right. And Tristan Hall, where are you at online? Best place is about.me forward slash Tristan D. Hall. Um, and then very importantly, photocomment.net. Um where you can test out the latest uh, digital reader of our magazine as well, which is compatible with smartphones and tablets, etc. So, uh, yeah, if you want to catch the latest issue of the Photocommon magazine, that's the best place to go. You're always so cutting edge, Tristan. You're the first person I know that is using about.me page as their you know, place to learn more about them. Very cool. Well, the problem is I'm all over the place. It's just easier to send you guys to one place instead of giving you a list of 10 different places mm-hmm. to go. So. Yep. And that's what they designed it for. It's perfect. Cool. <laughs> I, I remo- remove what I said about.me slash Nicolzi. Oh, look at that. I, right. I, I think that was, that was a great trend you're starting so we'll just do that from now on right <laughs> all right we'll put that put that in the notes so that uh, we can link to it i feel left out now <laughs> oh, <laughs> no, about that me pages like are free you can get i gotta set one up <laughs> yeah um, i'm at about that me slash frederick van so i'm uh i'm online there no actually no it's fvj i think it's about that me slash fvj I just want to mention that site is fredmiranda.com where I had sold gear before. Ah, okay, good. You got it in there. Now the show is complete. Look at that. (laughs) When I fell into a coma there a little while ago, I remembered. (laughs) 
you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. All right, guys. And on that note, uh, if you'd like to, listeners, if you'd like to keep up with everything in the TWIP universe, be sure to check us out at thisweekinphoto.com. And please support the show by leaving us a nice comment on iTunes. It can be positive or negative as long as it's constructive. We appreciate that. And we read all of those comments. And also, speaking of iTunes, please be sure to, to support the show by checking out our TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up the, show, the shows as soon as they are hot off the oven. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, like I said before, you can find me at my new site, MediaBytes with a Y.com. It's the marketing school for photographers. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. <laughs> Weekend Photo is a PixelCore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. 